You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. What does it take to be an entrepreneur and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G Podcast and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business, and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the future of entrepreneurship of Prop G Pod, special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts. We know that in the Trump administration, as in the Bush administration, intelligence has been used for political purposes. But a new whistleblower complaint uh, from a high-ranking Department of Homeland Security official suggests that we, we don't know just how far it's gone. That is to say, there's been malfeasance to the level of criminality on the part of high-level Trump administration officials who are trying to twist intelligence on a variety of important national security topics to fit what they want reality to be. That's what we're going to talk about today in Worldly, part of the Vox Media Podcast Network. I'm Zach Beecham here, as always, with Jen Williams and Alex Ward. Hey. More whistleblowers. Love them. I like that it took Alex a few seconds to get there. He was just like, what, what are we talking about? It's which whistleblower? There's been so many. There's too many whistleblowers. I, I, I just keep hearing whistles being from all over the place. Oh my god! I don't know if that that train noise I just made is going to make it into the episode, but I, I really I really hope it does for you listeners. The whistles go whoop whoop. We're all very tired. It's the beginning of election season here in the U.S., and that means everything is getting a little bit crazy and intense. Um, but we wanted to talk about this whistleblower complaint because it's not you know it is obviously an American Trump administration story, but it's it's also a story that has global significance and that it speaks to a variety of different national security and foreign policy conflicts and challenges that have been pulled into the sort of gravitational vortex of Trumpism and that have shaped the way the U.S. has acted and even apparently thought about a series of different challenges. So without further ado, let's get right into it. Let's go in order, I guess, of what what goes on in the whistleblower complaint because there's a lot there in a variety of topics. But like, so I guess maybe before we get into the sequence of events, uh, we should start by talking about well, who the complaint is from, and who the the sort of key parties involved are. Yeah. So this is a written complaint by a guy named Brian Murphy. He was a top DHS Department of Homeland Security intelligence analyst. Um, he had previously been in the news, and we'll talk about this more, obviously, later. Um, he was previously involved or alleged to have been involved in this controversial uh, initiative at DHS to essentially collect intelligence on journalists who were reporting on the Portland protests. Very cool um, and very democratic. 
Yeah. In uh, the whistleblower complaint, it actually addresses that. Uh, his lawyers, who obviously their job is to, you know, defend him, but uh, his lawyers essentially say that's not true, that they were collecting, you know, tweets and things like that from journalists, but that was just the information in those tweets that they were collecting. They weren't collecting on the journalists themselves. And that, you know, if he had been ordered to do that, Murphy, this guy Murphy wouldn't have done that. But, you know, again, that's that's the case from his lawyers, right? So, you know, whether that's true or not, I, I don't know. But that's who this guy is. So not exactly, I guess what we're saying here is not exactly like the flawless, perfect, you know, whistleblower here. He, you know, so take that into account. Um, but this is his complaint uh, and that he made. And it alleges a lot of, really, really troubling things that kind of go across the board. I guess we can we can start this this sort of sequence of events as described in the in the complaint with uh, a series of conversations surrounding uh, migrants attempting to enter the United States. Uh, the report uses some annoying technical language and acronyms, and I'm not going to repeat them because acronyms are really annoying when you're speaking out loud. But the basic gist of it is that it, according to the complaint, then uh, Secretary of Homeland Security, Kirsten Nelson, tried to pressure this guy Murphy, who is a high-up DHS intelligence official, which DHS, like a lot of different American government agencies, does their own sort of intelligence stuff, which is connected to but independent of what you normally think of as the intelligence services, like the CIA and the NSA. They do sort of their own thing. Um, so he's supposed to be talking to essentially his boss's boss about what we know about potential threats in uh, migration flows. And she, according to uh, Murphy, no, it tries to get him to say that there are many, many, many more terrorist threats among people coming up from the southern border than there actually are. And he refuses to change the intelligence because he believes that tampering with the intelligence document would be a crime, even though... Uh, Nielsen and the the Trump administration is uh, the orders seem to be relayed through his boss, but that's his his belief is that it was coming from the higher ups. Uh, we're we're pressuring him to change it, and uh, eventually Nielsen testifies that there's a that there were a significant number of potential and suspected terrorists trying to come in through the border and in to Congress. And Murphy believes, based on the exchanges they had, that this constitutes perjury; that she's lying under oath in a criminal fashion, which is a wild, wild accusation to level against someone who's currently out of government, but still is a really, really, really serious person in the administration. Yeah. I mean, I want to read this section just because I think it's incredibly important. So basically on March, what it says is on March 5th, 2019, Murphy, along with other officials, were preparing Secretary Nielsen for a briefing uh, and testimony in front of the House Committee on Homeland Security. And here's where, where it says verbatim. During the session, Mr. Murphy provided Secretary Nielsen with documentation reflecting that the number of documented terrorists crossing the southwest border only consisted of no more than three individuals, not 3,755 individuals, as she had previously attested to in her testimony on December 20th, 2018. And it goes along where she's still basically citing that case and, and people in her team, including um, Chad Wolf and, and another, uh, who's now the acting secretary, we're basically saying that, look, what she should say is that the details of how many terrorists are classified, but instead that, you know, one crossing is too many and, and deflect away from this data. And the reason they were pushing for that is, one, it, 
it goes against the sort of narrative of why you need the border wall, right? Because part of it is it's to stop illegal immigration, but it's also a security barrier because it stops terrorists from coming into the southern border. That's the claim. So that's sort of one. And related is two, it's like, that's the claim Trump keeps saying. <laughs> and right. so uh, if like this sort of intelligence, this sort of data needs to fit the president's narrative, not that the president when he makes statements or anything, has to fit the data that the U.S. government has. And that's sort of, for me, the underlying, uh, like, the meta-narrative here is when we think about, like, how to think about this whistleblower complaint versus, like, the Ukraine one, this is not Trump pressuring a foreign government for, like, his own political gain, right? That's not what this is. This is, uh, you know, the the cogs of, of state, the, the wheels that churn, like, everything that sort of goes on to make sure the U.S. government runs and runs well uh, and does its job. They are corrupted. They are they are rotting from from within because they are all trying to sort of ingratiate themselves to the president and make the president look good. And so this is the sort of like where the 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 lies and everything that sort of it has filtered down and it has created a pretty bad system throughout, as as the rest of the whistleblower complaint um, attests. Uh, it I, I think this is important to dwell on for not not just those reasons, right? Which I think is consistent throughout the entire report, but also this this idea that you need to actually distort intelligence to spin up some kind of terrorism threat from migration, right? There's there's good research on how limited such a threat is. Uh, in you know, 2017, I wrote up a paper from Cato's Alex Narasta, which I think is uh, really good work, where he tries to quantify the odds that an American might be killed uh, by an immigrant uh, or a refugee who conducted a terrorist attack. And he even includes 9-11 as an immigration-related attack, which is dubious, but you know, let, let's, let's allow that. The odds of being killed by a migrant who engages in an act of terrorism are one in 3.6 million. Uh, people are more likely in the United States to be killed by their own clothes lighting on fire than they are by a migrant conducting a terrorist attack. And that's consistent with these DHS numbers, right? That there are almost no suspected terrorists coming into the United States. And yet, not just in the United States, but around the world, uh, and particularly in Western Europe, fears of terrorism and alleged threats from particularly Muslim immigrants have become a staple of right-wing populist and immigration restrictionist narratives, right? This is a really important part of the global refugee and migration backlash that has empowered uh, so many parties of this type, yet the evidence to support it has always been extremely limited. And here you see in the U.S. where it's been you know, a staple of the administration's narrative, you need someone, according to this complaint, which I think seems very credible in this place, uh, you need to actually inflate dramatically by, by four orders of magnitude, right, the actual data on the threat here in order to make it sound even remotely credible. I mean, it's more than a thousand orders of magnitude, just like, right? I mean, from three terrorists to 3,755. I mean, it's an, like, it's an incredible inflation. Yeah. Just to be clear where that those numbers come from. Um, so, the, and the, the complaint lays this out, and I don't want to get too technical here, but basically there, there are two different kind of categories. There's known suspected terrorists. So these are people who are known to have like ties or suspected, you know, ties that there's actually intelligence showing they have ties to terrorist organizations or things like that. That's where the, the actual like, three number comes from. Then there's something else that's basically this kind of other category, special interest alien, which basically means these are people who come from countries where there is a significant terrorist threat, but that individual person, there's no like intelligence whatsoever showing that they are actually 
you know, a terrorist or have ties to terrorism. So that's a much bigger number because it's like anyone who comes from this whole bunch of countries where terrorism is a threat. That is that bigger kind of 3,000 plus number. And the complaint basically says that Murphy tried to explain this to, to Nielsen like right before her testimony when he was preparing her. And like it very much was trying to clarify this distinction. And then she went out there and just didn't give that distinction at all. And he says, explicitly it says in this document that that he believes that that constituted a knowing and deliberate submission on her part of false material information, i.e. perjury, i.e. she literally just lied to Congress. Second thing, quickly, this is not the first time she has been uh, accused uh, or alleged to have committed perjury in front of Congress. Uh, this is the second time. Previously, she was accused again on, you know, DHS stuff, because that's where she worked, uh, of having lied to Congress about whether or not family separations was actual policy. She said, no, there wasn't. Turns out their documents saying that's totally our policy. So anyway, uh, again, I find it fairly credible because she's literally did it already once before, it seems. Yeah. Yeah. She, she's a big liar, it, it appears. Um, that so, is, that's my technical terminology for it. Big liar. Although, when, since you're thinking about credibility, I do think we should pause for a moment and talk about Brian Murphy. Yeah, that's a good um, Because if you're not a fan of the Trump administration, you're probably hearing all this and you're going, oh, finally, you know, someone's blowing the whistle here and saying something. But Brian Murphy is kind of part of the problem, too. So I've been talking to some people who, who know him, who have known his work at DHS and elsewhere, and they basically say and, um, that he is somewhat accused of, of behaving in this way, too, that he has also politicized intelligence, that he has also berated subordinates, that he is also... Um, you know, flexed policy in order to fit a lot of what Trump wants. Um, and that the only reason he's really doing this now is because based on all the things that he alleges that he has sort of stopped, you know, he has stopped bad things from happening, he alleges that that led to his demotion. And so a bunch of people that are familiar with his work or know him say that this is probably retaliation. Um, or at least that what's, that's that may be what motivated him, is to retaliate for, hey, you took me um, from this high level position of being like the, you know, the top Intel person at DHS to now some other job, some lower job. So we should take it with a grain of salt that this is probably someone who is angry at the people who demoted him that has participated in this kind of system before. Um, and, and, and maybe uh, according to some, and that is, uh, you know, background sources saying that he maybe uh, has engaged in, in similar behavior. So like, let's just take all the things with a grain of salt. However, I also spent parts of last night trying to confirm aspects of the story and I did do with some, which we'll get to, but um, I just, I just want to like be clear that we should still go through it. It's still explosive stuff. Um, some of it may be true. All of it may be true. Not much may be true. We don't know, but like, it's important to know who our actual like storyteller here is. Yeah. It's also possible that it could all be true. And he did other stuff that was also like this, right? Correct. Yeah, of course. Yeah. My, my way of thinking about it so far, having read it and, you know, talked to you guys about this beforehand, is that uh, the parts where he discusses, and this is at the end, and, and we're probably not going like, to get into it too much because it's not very important, the parts where he's like, I did nothing wrong, uh, I was wronged, this demotion was entirely retaliation for all of these anonymous uh, complaints that I gave before he went public about this, about this malfeasance, I am I am perfect, uh, I did nothing, like, you know, sort of, the, it feels almost Trumpian in legal language. I am right? not a crook. Either. Yeah, 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 yeah. Nixonian too. <laughs> right. Those, very, very cool and very legal. <laughs> those are the parts that I'm like, I, I'm skeptical that this is the case. Do I know for a fact or have any specific indication that it's not true other than what Alex's sources said in this generalized reputation of his? No. So I'm not going to say it's not true. It's just that I, uh, those parts I, I find 
not entirely credible. Not not credible, but not entirely credible. At the same time, uh, the the factual discussions about what the Trump administration did, which don't directly relate to you know his demotion, but rather document malfeasance by other members of the government, as long as it's not basically part of the narrative that casts him as perfect and innocent in all of this, but merely describes wrongdoing by others, I find that um, much easier to believe, I think, because it's, right. it, it, well, it does not depend on a self-serving motivation in order to be true. Right. And, you know, and I think as Alex, maybe you said just a second ago, it, there is the fact that he did submit these anonymous OIG, these Office of Inspector General reports. So he's, he previously, before this kind of public whistleblower complaint, he had submitted a number of anonymous complaints to the Inspector General overseeing DHS saying there's a bunch of bad stuff going on. So those, you know, apparently do exist, which means it's not like he just made this up out of whole cloth all of a sudden, right? There is a you know, I haven't seen the documents to be clear, but there is apparently, a, you know, a kind of documented paper trail of him submitting these claims over time. And that's what he's saying that because of those claims and because of his refusal to kind of go along with these orders to, to, you know, fiddle with intelligence, that that's why he's being retaliated against. And so now he's going public. But again, there, there are these apparently documented instances of him previously having done this. So I, I think in my mind, that makes it somewhat more credible. But we Fair. should probably talk about. There's a whole bunch of other stuff. Oh my god! Yeah, yeah, here, yeah. There's right. Like it's not even just Kirsten Nielsen. I mean, that is bad, and that's the one that's potentially you know illegal because it's perjury. But there's a lot of really other bad stuff in here. Right, and some of it is 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 much more contemporarily relevant than the the stuff about um, migration in 2018, 2019. Right, like this. the The next section talks about uh, another attempt to distort intelligence on migration. This one is from Ken Cuccinelli, who is a high-up Trump administration DHS official, who has not been confirmed, by the way. He's one of these, like, questionably legal, probably illegal acting appointments, like Chad Wolf, the current acting Secretary of Homeland Security. The Trump administration has put in, despite not probably fitting the legal requirements, no one actually has an ability to stop them. Anyway, Cuccinelli, who has a reputation for being a very very hardline, very radical Republican partisan, uh, he was in Virginia politics for a while, uh, has this meeting with Murphy. And in the meeting, he tries to get Murphy to alter intelligence reports about countries uh, like Guatemala and Honduras that were sending a lot of migrants to the United States so it's it's not exactly clear to me what what the alterations were. Maybe one of you has a has a better beat on it. Yeah. So here's what happened. Um, according to this complaint, first of all, you got to remember uh, this Trump administration policy that they put together was basically this like this third party safe third country kind of arrangement, right? So the idea was that we made this agreement with these countries, Guatemala, Honduras, et cetera, but in particular Guatemala, um, that. Migrants who came to the U.S. Weren't, wouldn't be allowed to apply for asylum in the U.S. unless they had first applied for asylum in this other third country. So Guatemala being one of those countries. And made the agreement with the Guatemalan government. There was actually a really incredible um, piece uh, from Reveal in the Center for Investigative Reporting um, about a whole bunch of potentially corrupt stuff that happened behind that deal. But so that's the, the kind of policy that was involved here. Now, obviously, if you're saying that this is a safe third country that migrants should try to go to first rather than coming to the United States, well, you need to kind of 
make sure that it looks like that country's, I don't know, safe, right? Because otherwise, why are you forcing people to get asylum in a really dangerous country? Um, so that's where this kind of comes in. So there are these intelligence reports that Murphy put together uh, regarding conditions in Guatemala, Honduras, El Salvador, and they basically made it pretty clear that there are really high levels of corruption, violence, and poor economic conditions in all of these countries. Cuccinelli takes a look at these and says, no, mm -mm, you, need to, you need to change those specific things. You, the, the stuff on corruption, violence, and poor economic conditions, you need to make it look better. And then apparently, according to the complaint, Cuccinelli expressed frustration with the reports and accused unknown, quote, deep state intelligence analysts, end quote, of compiling the information to undermine Trump's policy with respect to asylum. So essentially saying, okay, and, and by the way, there is a ton of actual corruption, violence, and poor economic conditions. Like, that's not made up. That That's true. But because that would look bad for Trump's policy by saying those countries are actually not super safe, Cuccinelli was like, no, you got you to gotta tone that down and make it look like it's it's better. And Murphy apparently was like, yeah, no, I'm not going to do that. And then threatened to fire the people who wrote the actual truth about what yeah, was going he, on in this uh, country. Yeah, Cuccinelli ordered Murphy and, and another uh, official to identify the names of these deep state individuals and fire or reassign them immediately. Like, again, these are just regular analysts who are looking. I mean, you don't need to have like super top secret classified spy information to know that these countries have some problems with violence uh, and corruption. Like, that's literally why there's a huge out-migration from these countries. But again, like, instead of saying, you know, oh, you know, this intelligence exists and, you know, whatever, like, you know, yes, the, the, the option is, it is problematic, I understand, for, for the top officials who are not the intel analysts to say, well, all, we have all this intelligence saying the literal exact opposite of our president's policy, but, like, that's your job, I don't know, to, like, spin it, I guess, and figure that out. You don't, like, punish the analysts who are just giving you actual real information. Well, I, I want to point out two things on that. One is let's not forget that before all this, there was that uh, incredible hearing where usually the intelligence community does what's called the worldwide threats assessment. They go to the Hill and they say, here's the intelligence as we know it. Here's sort of the general consensus of the entire intelligence community. The problem in that hearing, I think that was oh, 2018. Oh, yeah, I remember right? this. The, the problem with that hearing is that, like, they basically said that everything Trump believes is wrong. It was like North Korea is not giving up their nuclear weapons. It <laughs> I, had, was I had forgotten like, about this. This, this is great. Right? Like, the, the Iran deal was good and it was working. The Iran deal was good. Like, climate change is real. And then, of course, it just, they like, it wasn't like they were purposely going after Trump. It was just reality goes right. against Trump. Right. And since then, the I mean, Trump then, like, summoned these intelligence officials to the White, to the White House and, like, berated them and basically had them pull back their statement. So let's not forget like the grander context here. The intelligence community and all parts of it are already pretty wary about crossing Trump in a sense. And so even though a lot of these top officials at DHS are Trump loyalists, and, and we shouldn't discount that, a lot of this is also too, they know they're going to get pushback and probably anger from the president if they keep presenting information that goes against the way he views the world. So that's sort of the, the grander context here. Uh, the other is, and this is a, a minor point, but I still think somewhat instructive, that these country reports on Guatemala, Salvador, Honduras, like these are pro forma. 
like the, you can use the reports from previous years. As you mentioned, Jen, like you don't have to be a super massive Intel spy to have all this information. It's in the public domain, but also yeah, like- You could literally just basically. Google it and read the news. Yes, it could be a Vox explainer. Right, but also what usually happens is in these kinds of products, like you do update them, but they're 98% the same thing. You just copy paste and you sort of update them for the date and you go forward. The fact that like years of, of, of precedence- this is how deep it all goes in, in sort of the rot, right? Like even just the pro forma, here's a, here's a piece of paper that we've basically copy pasted for a decade um, is like no longer allowed <laughs> because it goes against whatever the president believes. It's just, it's fascinating to me. So we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about some really explosive parts of the allegations. Right? Because even we haven't worse. done much yet. <laughs> yeah, related to uh, Russia, white nationalist terrorism, and Antifa. What does it take to be an entrepreneur, and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G Podcast, and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business, and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the Future of Entrepreneurship, a Prop G Pod special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's insight assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Welcome back, worldly listeners. We're talking about a pretty damning whistleblower report uh, that, you know, has its problems, but seems to outline a, a consistent pattern of politicization of U.S. intelligence and policy towards a series of foreign policy issues and national security threats. And uh, the, this next topic uh, will touch on something that is near and dear to everybody's heart, uh, which is Russian involvement in U.S. elections. And uh, this one's really wild, I think. Because uh, it's an allegation of some kind of improper tampering with the intelligence on what Russia is doing as it relates to 2020, of Trump administration officials repeatedly attempting to downplay what's going on uh, in terms of, of Russian involvement, of, of not wanting to hear it. But when you read the complaint, uh, most of it is like a series of dates, and then it says – uh, Mr. Murray made classified disclosures, and then it says things like, the details of the protected disclosure cannot be provided in this unclassified information beyond stating that the concern raised pertained to improper administration of an intelligence program with respect to Russian disinformation efforts within the United States. Like, it's not more specific than that. It's just 
somebody was doing something bad as it relates to the intelligence about Russian involvement in the U.S. Somebody, someone, and it was bad. <laughs> That's really tantalizing, right? Like, you have to wonder what exactly was the bad thing they were doing and what was the intelligence they were messing with. Yeah, um, there, are, there are a couple more specific pieces in there, kind of two specific incidents. The first is that this whistleblower complaint alleges that the DHS chief of staff basically sent an email to Murphy, the, the whistleblower guy, um, telling him to cease any dissemination of intelligence notification regarding Russian disinformation efforts uh, until Mr. Murphy had had talked to to Chad Wolf, right, the, the the head of DHS. So basically, he does this, I guess, and then Murphy meets with Wolf, and then Chad Wolf tells Murphy that this notification should be held because it quote made the president look bad. So. Just to be clear, this is an intelligence notification. This is a kind of intelligence product that is often, you know, usually shared kind of as an official notification that is shared around the intelligence community, um, you know, so to other agencies, particularly uh, FBI, right, because they're in charge of kind of domestic, you know, investigations and counterintelligence and things like that, right? But it would go to like a bunch of other agencies as a notification. It's not like this huge explosive thing. It's just like, hey, this stuff is happening. And so this is essentially, according to Murphy, the head of DHS saying, do not send this report. Don't tell anybody that we, you know, stop telling everyone that we have actual intelligence of Russian interference in the election because that makes Trump look bad. Even just two months before that, this is, I'm just going to read this because it, it actually drives me insane that this is... Uh, in like this, yeah, it's nuts. Okay, in mid May 2020, Mr. Wolf, Chad Wolf, uh, great name, instructed Murphy to cease providing intelligence assessments on the threat of Russian interference in the United States and instead start reporting on interference activities by China and Iran. Mr. Wolf stated that these instructions specifically originated from White House National Security Advisor Robert O'Brien. Right, so that's the second specific kind of incident. Yikes. So let's dig into that one because I am angry. Uh, first of all, we do know that Russia's interfering, but also to basically minimize uh, Russia's actions in order to maximize saying, hey, it's China and Iran, really, uh, is a dereliction of duty in and of itself and horrible intelligence reporting. They are, we do know that China, Iran, Russia, and, to, and North Korea are interfering in different ways and for different reasons. But to basically say like one over the other or to equate them is nuts. Worse, coming from the National Security Advisor, okay, this, so I was able to confirm this last night. I talked to uh, a senior White House official who confirmed that this is true, that O'Brien has been talking, uh, has been telling everyone at the National Security Council to minimize uh, the threat of Russian interference, especially in, when talking to the president, and that this instruction has also filtered to other parts of the government, including DHS. So this seems to be the case, that this that the whistleblower is correct, and that this is a directive from O'Brien telling senior directors, hey, this Russia stuff, don't make it a big deal because Trump does not like to hear about it. In fact, uh, when I talked to the senior official about it, they, they go, that's true about the DHS intel. They only want to hear about China. Russians are angels. The, that's even been the instructions within the NSC, according to O'Brien. Since he got there, everyone knows that. POTUS does not want to hear anything negative about Russia. That's the, that's what's <laughs> happening here. And for the National Security seems Advisor, bad. seems really bad. And the National Security Advisor is, of all people, not of all, but among the people, should not be doing this because the National Security Advisor is supposed to be the one providing the best information to the president so the president can make the right national security decisions. If he is politicizing that intelligence, if he is trying to keep information away from the president, the president cannot make the right decisions and, in fact, is 
turning the entire affairs of state in order to the, to the president's whims and not what the country needs. It is a dereliction of duty. It goes completely against what he is supposed to be doing and what he is there to do. And honestly, he should be removed from his job. He should, if this, if this is all accurate, and it seems to be based on the whistleblower complaint and my own reporting, it is, he is making America less safe, basically because he doesn't want people to tell the president what he needs to hear solely because the president has this view about Russia. It is truly, I'm, I'm genuinely upset about it, and it's truly uh, devastating to hear as just a citizen of the country who wants to be my elections to be safe and wants uh, the country to do what it needs to do in, in national security writ large. But this is a real fish rots from the head situation, right? Like, the reason he's doing that is because the president doesn't want to hear it. It's not like O'Brien just sort of independently was like, I don't care about Russia and Trump shouldn't either. It's that if that information were relayed to Trump, he'd get really mad and throw a tantrum about it and ignore it and wouldn't like make a good decision. It's not that the in the counterfactual world where O'Brien wasn't politicizing and suppressing intelligence, U.S. policy on Russian involvement in our elections would be a lot better. It's just that... O'Brien is doing something terrible that I'm not trying to defend, but he's doing it because he's working for a man who would make his life miserable if he didn't do the terrible thing. Yell at him, scream at him, stuff like that. So I actually think our our policy and our efforts to push back on Russia or at least protect against Russia would actually be a lot better if he didn't do this because I don't think it's actually, it goes a lot farther than Trump, right? So the issue here is that, you know, these are, again, intelligence notifications and intelligence products that are shared among a whole bunch of different agencies, right? They are shared potentially even eventually with Congress, right? Uh, they are shared with the FBI, again, in charge of a lot of this stuff, uh, could potentially be shared with, you know, states who are, you know, the ones that administer the elections, right? So it's not like O'Brien's just saying, I'm not going to brief Trump on this stuff, but you guys can keep collecting this and sharing this because that's important that our country has this. He's literally saying, stop collecting this intelligence and stop talking about it. Stop sharing it. So it goes way deeper than Trump, right? If it's if it were one thing about just being like, I don't want to tell Trump. Well, you know, to some degree, it's not like Trump is reading these intelligence, these, you know, individual intelligence products, right? <laughs> Trump reading. He gets briefed, right? He gets briefed at the PDB, the presidential, the president's daily brief. That would be one thing. This is different. This is at at a lower level where, you know, like a lot of different agencies need to know this. Now, to be fair, there are a lot of other agencies also collecting their own information. It's not like everybody in the entire country is relying on this one office at DHS to report on Russian election interference, right? There's There are a bunch of intelligence agencies in the U.S. who all have a piece of this. But, but it's still pretty damaging, right, to have an entire kind of branch of intelligence saying, you know, oh, we're not going to disseminate this stuff anymore. Like, that's bad. And, and again, it goes way deeper than Trump and could potentially have actual tangible effects on our ability to, you know, protect. Like, if we don't, you know, if a state doesn't know, if a member of Congress doesn't know, if the FBI doesn't know that there's this new tactic or something uh, or the specific way that Russia has developed to do this, they need to know that so they can, like, watch out for that and protect against it. And if you're not sharing that information among agencies, that's bad. Quickly, because I should be fair now that I've calmed down, I talked to the White House this morning and Sarah Matthews, a spokesperson there, says on O'Brien, he never sought to dictate the intelligence community's focus on threats to the integrity of our elections and has publicly advocated for a holistic focus on the threats to our elections, whether from Russia, Iran, China, or elsewhere. Any contrary suggestion by a disgruntled former employee who, has never, who he has never met or heard of is false and defamatory. 
So I'll just leave that statement there, even though there's a whistleblower complaint and uh, my own reporting countering that statement. Well, actually, I don't know. Honestly, like I find that more is actually confirming part of it because that he has always advocated for a holistic approach that focuses not just on Russia, but also China and Iran. Yeah, that's literally what we're saying. Yeah, I mean, yeah, and, and to be and to be fair, like in 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 August, I believe it was like the uh, Evan Evanina, who's a top uh, intel official in the U.S. Another amazing this, name, by the way. Yeah, put out this statement saying saying uh, along the lines of like, look, it's Russia, it's Iran, China, and like they're all interfering for myriad reasons and, and with different favorites. And so like there is reporting public about Russia interference, but uh, it does seem like anytime Russia is mentioned, it has to come along with like China, Iran, and North Korea. Like they they all they are part of a package. It's not like any emphasis on one, particularly Russia, would be seen as skew. It has to be kind of like there's this global conspiracy, and frankly, more uh, emphasis on China. And we should kind of explain maybe a little bit more why, in particular China, but also Iran to some degree, it's not just to like spread it out among other countries. It's also because according to the assessment, uh, you know, they, China would, maybe it's not actively trying to like elect Biden, but they would certainly prefer, according to this broader intelligence assessment, they would prefer Biden to Trump. Uh, And it's pretty obvious with Iran that they would much prefer you know, a Joe Biden presidency to Trump, uh, in part because, you know, the Obama-Biden administration did the Iran deal and were willing to kind of, you know, make an actual deal with Iran uh, and not, you know, lifted sanctions and things like that. And Trump is doing his maximum pressure approach. So it's not just like random countries that Trump wants to throw in here, right? It's that those other countries would prefer Biden, whereas Russia is actively working to help reelect Trump, according to the intelligence assessment. So it makes Trump look a lot better. Like, no, it's not like I'm, I'm, you know, Russia's just trying to get me elected. Like there are other countries and they want Biden. So he's bad too, right? It's a very kind of specific, purposeful kind of sleight of hand that's happening. So let's talk about the last two sections of the report, which are about white nationalist terrorism in Antifa. So there is uh, an intelligence document uh, assessing from DHS terrorist risk to the United States that stated that white nationalists were a pretty significant risk to the homeland. And then Ken Cuccinelli did what it seems like he does and demanded that they play down the risk from white nationalist terrorism uh, and far-right extremism. And then in a sort of separate incident, uh, DHS was asked to play up and overstate the risks by uh, Antifa and other sort of left-wing street brawly groups, which aren't exactly terrorism risks in the way that we normally understand that. They don't do or don't have have an operating strategy, at least Antifa, that's akin to to the one that certain white national cells do of just like killing random people to try to stoke panic. Um, So trying to to elevate them as an on-par terrorism risk with far-right extremists is, is, is a mistake to begin with. Or not even on par, but as more of a threat. Yeah, as a, as, as a threat at all, right, in, in this sense, right? They, they certainly have their problems. I'm not trying to, you know, play cover for Antifa, but terrorism is not the right frame through which to analyze them. Um, yeah, uh, traditionally in the U.S., far-left terrorism or far-left, uh, you know, groups have not done killing as terrorism. They've done property damage as terrorism anyway. So whereas the far-right white nationalists is much more about killing rather than damaging property. So, you know, you think of like environmental groups in the 90s, uh, you know, 
logging. Elf. Putting, yeah, uh, Earth Liberation Front, right? They would set, you know, set buildings on fire at night. They would spikes into trees to, to interrupt logging, right? Things like that. But it wasn't, you know, it wasn't about like going into a church and killing people, for instance, just to kind of explain that. Yeah. So it, it's these two incidents, they're, they're separate sections on the report, but to me, they kind of blend together into one generalized or generalizable scandal in which you have even the idea, the core idea of the Department of Homeland Security was to consolidate a variety of different agencies together after 9-11 to prevent some of the intelligence and coordination failures that created the, the vulnerabilities in the American homeland defense system that led to the 9-11 attacks, right? So, so really, this was an institution created in large part to minimize the risks of terrorism to the United States. And here you have a deliberate effort to turn it into an agency that downplays actual terrorism risks and plays up phantom ones. It's it's, it's truly remarkable to me uh, that this is this is what's going on there. I mean, it's I guess it's not surprising given the rest of the whistleblower complaint and what we know about the Trump administration. But the fact that it is not surprising doesn't make it less shocking. Yeah, I mean, I I guess, and again, in fairness, you have had seen Chad Wolf and a bunch of top Trump administration officials basically say, look, white, su white supremacist violence is bad. We sh This is, you know, a, a threat to the country, no question. There have even been assessments, uh, public assessments, saying the same thing. Um, but it's clear that this is not a priority, right? And it's clear that making it a priority and stating it outright would be bad uh, for this administration because they're, for, for, for myriad reasons, um, part of it being just political gain. So it's unsurprising um, that this would be out there. Also, again, just the fact that Trump's narrative is Antifa bad and I am protecting you from Antifa, it makes sense that there would be people in his team who want to play that up, that like Trump isn't just, you know, tweeting from the hip here. He is, you know, following the threats where they are and trying to protect Americans, which he himself says is the, is the top duty of a president as it is. So... Again, I agree with you, Zach. Like, it's it's not surprising, but it is still shocking to see, um, like the 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 cogs and the wheels of state shift so much and and politicize intelligence for the president's gain. And like, I'm not trying to equate, but it I as I read this report, I just kept thinking constantly about Iraq. Yeah. Um, right. And uh, and where you saw what the difference there being like, there were there were leaders who believed Iraq was bad and sort of took pieces of intelligence and did lie about it, of course, but took pieces of intelligence that fit the narrative where here there's intelligence very clearly that goes against like what the president believes and they're being asked to retrofit that intelligence to fit the president's beliefs. There are some similarities and some differences, but, and again, it's nowhere near on the scale of sort of, you know, we're not, we haven't led to a new Iraq war here, but that's if like we're, if we're in anywhere near that conversation, we're in a bad spot. Yeah. And to me, you know, each of these incidents on their own is really disturbing. But put all together, you know, like you said at the top, it shows a demonstrated pattern. And the fact that we're talking about such a wide range from how dangerous Antifa is versus white nationalist terrorism to Russian interference versus China and Iran interference in the election to how corrupt and dangerous... Guatemala, Honduras, and El Salvador are to how many terrorists are potentially coming across the border. Like, that is a really wide range of issues, apparently, according again to this complaint, all of which 
were actively, you know, by these senior DHS officials tampered with in terms of reality and the intelligence of what it shows for political purposes. That's what we mean by politicization of intelligence. They are politicizing the actual information to retrofit to, to the president's narrative. That is a staggering array of things, right? It's not just like on this one issue. And to me, it just shows, you know, how problematic Trump's inability to grasp reality and consistent, you know, need to, I mean, yes, all politicians lie and all politicians want to, you know, have obviously would love to hear information that reinforces what they think and their policies, right? He's not the first president to probably, you know, not, you know, be thrilled to hear a report that goes against his own policy. But there's a difference between, you know, the kind of more subtle potential politicization of intelligence, which is, you know, everybody kind of knows that the president is pursuing X policy and this is probably not going to look great. But, you know, there's a strong commitment, especially after 9-11 in the intel community to push back against that, to make sure that they are not doing that. They are not politicizing. They're giving the president the best information. And it's the president's right to take all that information and throw it aside and go, I don't care. This is still our policy. That's that's his or her right. But this is something very, very much more insidious, which is actually changing the intelligence itself. We're going to leave you there. I want to thank our producer, Jackson Bierfeld, uh, for his excellent work. And I want to encourage all of you to rate, subscribe, and review Worldly wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks a lot. And I hope you enjoyed this detour into America's broken intelligence apparatus. See you next week. Bye. Don't watch Mulan. So a big part of what makes Worldly worldly and, and you know the podcast you know and love, well, it's it's you. It's it's the listeners. Uh, we really need your help with planning our future. So that's why we want your help to make the show even better as we go down the line. What we need is you to fill out a short survey and give us responses that'll help us understand who's listening, how your listening habits have changed in the past few months during, you know, everything that's happening, and hopefully how we can reach even more people. Go to voxmedia.com slash podsurvey. That's voxmedia.com slash podsurvey. And help us make Worldly even more of the show that you know and love. What does it take to be an entrepreneur? And how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G Podcast and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business, and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the Future of Entrepreneurship, a Prop G Pod special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts.